You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. Right now, if you're, uh, if you're taking notes, if you're following along, if you're listening with me, we are closing out. Um, our Easter series. This is going to be a new tradition for New Song students. We're going to start doing Easter series every single year. And this series is called Graves to Gardens. Somebody say Graves to Gardens. Graves to Gardens. Gardens. That's right. Easter. Easter might be over, but we ain't done yet. We ain't done yet. We're almost done, but we're not done yet. So what we've been doing in this series is we're taking time to hit the brakes on this Easter season because... How many of you know Easter can fly by like any other holiday? It can just happen. Boom, we're done. We're on to the next thing. Um, But here's the thing. Easter's kind of a big deal to Christianity. It's kind of a big deal to the church. And if we're not careful over time, uh, we can begin to tune out Easter. We can kind of tune out the noise of Easter. And uh, we can think, oh, I I already know what's coming. I've been through Easter a million times. I've grown up in church. I know it's coming. Um, And for most of us, Easter is kind of just this thing that's like summed down to a normal church weekend. It's just this normal church tradition that we do once a year. It's the first Sunday of April, and it's just what we do, and then we go on to more exciting, fun stuff to teach. But what we want to do in this series, New Song students, is we want to slow down. Somebody say slow down. down. We want to slow down. Why? Because... Easter is so much more than just a single Sunday tradition that we do once a year. The the reason why Easter is like the Super Bowl of Christianity, it's kind of a big deal. The reason why it's the Super Bowl of Christianity is not because um, there's a little bit higher production on a Sunday. We've got flowers and stuff on stage and a cross hanging up. That's not the reason why it's a big deal. It's not It's not a big deal because we get a bunch of people into our church that aren't normally going to our church, even though, you know, those are all fun, good things, right? That's not the reason. The reason why Easter is the Super Bowl of Christianity is because it's the reason why you're a Christian. Like, Easter is the good news. It's the story of the gospel. And so the reason why we're slowing down is because Easter is the reason why you call yourself a Christian in the first place. So, How many of you know it's kind of important if we slow down and not just rush past this holiday, right? So so what we've been doing is just slowing down, and we're taking two weeks to just look at what the point of Easter is, which is Jesus' death and his life, right? So last week, how many of you all enjoyed last week's word? We we looked at Jesus' death. We talked about communion. Did anybody get something out of last week's word? Man, I know I did. Like, I walked out of just remembering and talking about communion and even taking communion with my dudes in small group, man, I walked away last week with like such a deep heart of like thankfulness for what Jesus did for me. And I hope you did too. But last week we took some time to look at Jesus's death and communion, right? Because I think the problem is not that we don't know that Jesus died for us. I think you could probably go to any person on the street, Christian or not, and be like, hey, what did Jesus do? And they would probably tell you, he died on a cross, right? So I don't think the problem is not that we don't know what Jesus did for us. I think the problem is we don't slow down and take a good look 
at what he did for us. And we forget like what Jesus was actually willing to endure for you because he loves you. And so we looked at that last week. We looked at communion and how communion is one of the most powerful and intimate ways and postures of worship that we can worship Jesus. But for most of us, it's just this thing where we go to church and we take a cup and a kind of bland cracker and then we just go on with our life, right? It's kind of like Easter. We just move on. But but we talked about how communion is, if you know and you remember what Jesus did for you, it's the most expensive meal you could ever eat. And it's the most expensive meal that you can ever eat with the most important person you could ever eat it with, right? And so I know for me last week, even coming into communion during small groups, I had just a fresh idea of why we're doing this. And I hope you guys did too. So tonight, we, uh, we're going to be continuing this series because how many of you know Jesus' death is not all of the story, right? That's just half of it. In fact, really, that's, that's just the beginning of the story. So tonight... We're going to be looking at the second half as we close, the second half of Easter. Somebody say graves to gardens. Okay, if you've got your Bible with me, you can bust that out. If you've got a phone with you, you want to take notes or a journal, get all that stuff out. Um, I've got a word for you. It's fresh. It's hot and ready. I'm ready to give it to you. But tonight we're going to be starting off in John chapter 2. John chapter 2. And um, i got a question for you. Have you ever had somebody say something to you before that when they said it, it caused you to be a little bit skeptical? Like you're kind of like, really? Like they said something and you were like, come on now. Really? Like what they said was either like too good to be true or they said something that just sounded flat out impossible, right? Or just crazy. Has that ever happened to you before? Raise your hand. Come on. Let me see the hands. Okay. We've all experienced that before. Well, check this out. Jesus did that all the time. (laughs) Jesus, like most of the things Jesus said caused people to have this kind of reaction. Like, really? Are you for real? Come on, Jesus. You don't really mean that. Jesus did this all the time. He said things that were kind of crazy and made people a little skeptical. And in this story, what I want to read to you in just a second, John chapter 2, we find Jesus in this famous story where he clears the temple. You all familiar with this story before? Jesus, what happens in this passage is uh, he comes up to the temple, this place of worship, God's house, right? And he walks in on people doing some bad stuff in God's house. He walks in and he finds a bunch of money changers and businesses uh, and just things like uh, businesses are exchanging and and selling profit and doing all these things in the temple. They're actually doing it in the outer courts. And the place that they're doing it in was unfair. So I want to give you the two reasons why Jesus was frustrated so that you understand. The place they were doing it in was unfair because it was in the outer court of the temple. And if, and if you know, back in the day, the outer court was the place where Gentiles could come. Somebody who wasn't a Jew, that was the place where they could come and worship God. So these money changers and these businesses are taking up all of this space where people can worship. And not only, not only are they taking up space, but they're also doing it in an unfair manner. So they're cheating people, 
They're stealing from people. So this is what Jesus walks into, right? And it kind of ticks Jesus off a little bit. He gets a little mad. In fact, um, he gets so mad that he does something about it. Now, a couple weeks ago, we were in a series called In My Feelings. How many of y'all were there for the anger message? We talked about how Jesus felt all the emotions that we experienced. That means he experienced anger. And he, we, we're about to see him experience some anger in this story, y'all. But the way he uh, handles his anger is he doesn't react. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but he responds. So he sees all this happening, and he doesn't just get a flash of anger and just start raging on people. No, no, no. Jesus is cool about it. He walks over to the side. He sees what's happening. He's like, okay, okay. You, you want to do that in my dad's house? Okay. And he sits down, and he starts making a whip from scratch. Like, he's patient about his anger. And then what does he do? He clears the temple. He gets all the animals out, gets all the money changers out. He clears the temple. This is where we pick up. Does that make sense? This is where we're going to pick up in the story. Now, obviously, some people are going to be a little upset about how Jesus handled this situation. Here's what happens. Check this out. In verse 18, here's what it says. It says, but the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. Somebody say prove it. Okay, so what are they saying? They're basically saying, hey, Jesus, you can't just come in here and whip all my animals out and whip my, like, I'm trying to do business here. Like, who, what makes you think you can just come in to my temple and make everybody leave? What authority do you have to do that? And then what do the Jewish leaders say? They say, hey, prove your authority. So what does Jesus say? He says, all right. I love that. Jesus is so cool. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And they're like, what? They exclaimed, it has taken us 46 years to build this temple, and you think you can rebuild it in three days? So they're kind of confused, right? Jesus just said something that caused them to be a little skeptical, right? You can't do that. That sounds too good to be true. But when Jesus said this, when he said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus said. Okay, if you're taking notes, the title of the message tonight is This Changes Everything. Write that down. This changes everything. Let's pray real quick before we get into this word. Father God, I thank you so much for every single person in this room, every single New Song student, every single New Song student's leader. And God, I thank you that you've already met us here tonight. God, as we worshiped you, we've already spent time inviting you in. We've said, Holy Spirit, come and you are here. The living, loving saving Jesus is in this room. And Father God, right now I pray that as we close out this series, Graves into Gardens, you would show us what it means to live out the resurrection, what it means to live through your life and not our own, God. We love you. We praise you. Help us to see this tonight. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Okay. Okay, so I opened with a question. I opened with a question. I'm gonna ask it again. Um, have you ever had somebody tell you something that sounded too good to be true? Caused you to be skeptical? Sounded impossible? Has that happened to anybody before? Okay. 
that's happened to me before. Um, it's actually happened to me with Haley, my wife. Haley, my wife and I have known each other for quite some time. We went to high school together. We dated in college. We were engaged for a long time. Now we're married. Okay. But we've known each other for a long time. And um, as, we, uh, as we hung out in high school, I would always hear her talk about this family friend of her family's. And the way she explained them every time um, caused me to be skeptical. Here's what I mean by that. The, the first time I heard about this family friend of Haley's family, the first time I heard about them, I don't remember what we were doing. I don't remember what we were talking about or who we were hanging out with, but this family friend came up and she said, oh yeah, I have this family friend and they won the lottery. And you know, you're kind of like, when you, hear, when you hear one of your friends say that, you're kind of like, okay, whatever. They won the lottery, like, sure, whatever, that's cool. And you're kind of like skeptical. You don't like fully believe it, but you're kind of like, yeah, whatever. Well, I hear this. I hear that, you know, Haley's got a family friend who won the lottery. That's cool. I didn't ask much about it. Well, I don't remember how much time went on, but a couple months later, maybe a year later, she, we start talking about this family friend of hers again. And I get a new detail about this family friend that caused me to be a little skeptical. Um, not only did they win the lottery, but they live in Orlando, Florida. But they don't just live in Orlando, Florida. They have a house on Disney property. And so I heard this, and you know, I'm, I'm, thinking, ex- I'm thinking exactly what you're thinking. I'm kind of thinking like, okay, the lottery, I can, I can hang with. But a house on Disney property? Come on now. Come on. I don't believe that. Um, so I was a little skeptical. Well, some time went past, and I hear another detail about this family. Not only, not only is their house on Disney property, but it's a mansion, and it's Harry Potter themed. Their house is Harry Potter themed because they're Harry Potter fans, which, side note, is kind of interesting because it's Universal that made Harry Potter, not Disney. Anyway, so I hear this detail. I hear this detail and I'm kind of like, Haley, come on now. Come on. That can't be true. I'm kind of starting to act like the Jewish leaders. I'm going to need a little evidence to prove what you're saying. Well, some time goes by. I hear another detail. I hear another detail about this family. Uh, not only um, do they have this house on Disney property and it's Harry Potter themed, but oh, they invite my family, Haley's family, out every New Year's Eve to go hang out with them. They fly them out in a private jet, and we stay for a week, and we get to go on all of the Disney rides for free, no lines, all, like, I, I, we're hearing, I'm hearing all of these details, and I'm kind of thinking, okay, this sounds too good to be true. Would anybody else be like me? Come on, be honest. Would you be like me? You're kind of like, come on, Haley, this is, this is too good to be true. Well, check this out. I thought that way for a long time until we got engaged. Because when we got engaged, I got invited to go to this New Year's celebration. So the whole time I'm kind of thinking like, okay, what's about to happen? Like, is this going to be like, is, it, like, is this going to be true? Like, am I going to experience all of these crazy things that Haley's been promising me? Sure enough... This was four years ago when I, when I did this. It was crazy, y'all. It was crazy. Um, 
you know, it's, it's like getting ready. It's like New Year's week, and we're packing our bags. We're engaged. I'm getting ready to go on, on our first family vacation together. And uh, so we're on our way to the airport, and uh, we don't go to the airport that I'm used to going to, like the peasant people airport, where you fly American Airlines. Um, no, we went, to a, we went to a different airport I'd never been to in Dallas. And sure enough, we unload our stuff, we walk right out onto the runway, and there it is, private jet for us. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, pinch me, is this real life? It was crazy. So we get on this private jet, which was awesome. I highly recommend you fly a private jet next time you fly. I'm just kidding, but for real, you should. So check this out. We fly a private jet to Orlando, and we land in Orlando. We get out of the, we get off of the stairs onto the runway, and there's that dude with, with our names on a plaque, and he walks us to this fancy car, and they take us through Disney, and they pull up to this suburb right outside of Disney property. We go into the neighborhood, a bunch of beautiful, massive houses. We pull up to this house that is massive. We walk in. It's Harry Potter themed. There's a slide around the staircase. And sure enough, everything Haley had told me was true. We spent a week in Disney World with this amazing family, super generous family that loved on us. We got to ride all the rides in Disney with no lines. Like it was, it was the trip of a lifetime. Like literally, it changed everything. It was so much fun. Now I say all of that to say this. For me, I was kind of like those Jewish leaders, right? Like Jesus is saying, I'm gonna tear this or tear this temple down and I'll raise it up in three days. He says this crazy statement. And what do the Jewish leaders say? Yeah, right. Come on, Jesus. And they're a little hesitant. But what Jesus said was true. And when I experienced the proof, uh, everything changed for me. When I experienced the proof of what Haley was telling me, everything changed. Before I experienced it, it all sounded too good to be true. I wasn't sure if I could trust Haley with all these crazy things. But sure enough, everything she said was true. And I, everything changed for me when I saw the proof. And in this story, we're seeing the same thing. We're seeing the Jewish leaders. They're saying, hey, Jesus... I need proof. What you're saying sounds too good for me. It sounds too good to be true. And you just came in here and messed up our whole system. And now you're telling us that you're the son of God and that you can destroy the temple and build it up in three days. I'm going to need to see a miracle. I'm going to need to see some proof. This is where the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders are feeling. And I love Jesus' response to the Jewish leaders. He's like, okay, you want proof that I have authority? That's fine. You want proof I'm the son of God? Here's here's what I want to say about that. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up. But they didn't get it, though, right? They They didn't get what he was saying. They didn't understand what kind of proof Jesus was talking about. They're like, hold your horses, Jesus. Time out now. I know you're a talented carpenter and all, but uh, this temple took 46 years to build, so I don't think you can build it in three days. But they didn't get what type of building Jesus was talking about. And the disciples didn't either, because check this out. 
the, what does it say after that? It says, but Jesus, but when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. So he wasn't talking about the physical temple. He was talking about a different temple. He meant his own body. Afterwards, check this out. He was raised from the dead. His disciples remembered this. They remembered what he said and what happened. They believed both the scriptures and what Jesus said. In other words, they didn't believe Jesus when he said this. They were just like the leaders. They were like, that sounds too good to be true. But after the proof happened, after he was raised from the dead, after they experienced the proof, everything changed. Somebody say everything changed. So check this out. Jesus said some wild stuff when he walked on the earth. He said some things that caused people to be skeptical. Not just the Jewish leaders, but everybody. He said some things that were hard to believe, and he promised a lot of things in his life. And the, and the thing that he says is going to be the proof that makes all of this real, all of this matter, all of this true is what? He said, it's my resurrection. The proof is that I'm going to die, and I'm going to be dead for three days, and I'm going to come back to life. It's the resurrection. The resurrection is the proof that changes everything for you and for me. Check this out. The resurrections, it's not just some fairy tale ending to the Jesus story or Christianity, but it's the truth that Jesus' body really did die. And he really was in a tomb for three days. And he really did come back to life. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It literally splits history into two sections. His life, his life starts and we have dates from BC, from before he was born. And then time splits in two when he's resurrected. And now we go from AD, right? His resurrection changed everything. His resurrection changed everything about God's word, about everything he said. It brought everything to life because everything he said actually happened. Check this out. There's a quote that um, I came across the other day from a book called Doctrine. It's really wordy, but it's really good. I want to read it to you. Check this out. This is what it says about the resurrection. Apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's no savior. There's no salvation no forgiveness of sin, and no hope for a resurrected eternal life. Apart from the resurrection, Jesus is reduced to yet another good man, but a dead man, and therefore is no considerable help to us in this life or at its end. Plainly stated, check this out, plainly stated, without the resurrection of Jesus, the few billion people today who worship Jesus as God are gullible. Their hope for a resurrection life after this is the hope of silly fools who trust in a dead man to give them life. Subsequently, the doctrine of Jesus, Jesus' resurrection, is without question profoundly significant and worthy of the most careful consideration and examination. Okay, what in the world did that just say? That was really wordy, right? What is this saying? In other words, it's saying, hey, if Jesus didn't actually physically really rise from the dead, everything that we do right now as Christians is pointless. Our entire faith, your entire walk with God, any, any miracle that happens, any encounter you have with Jesus, the only reason why that can happen is because Jesus is not dead anymore. 
It's because Jesus is alive. He's really alive. The resurrection changes everything. It's proof that everything has to change. And Paul actually talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. He's talking about the resurrection and how important it is to our faith. He actually says kind of what this passage that I just read says. It says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, in other words, if God isn't still moving, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. It's pretty intense, right? Paul is saying that the resurrection is not just some pretty fairy tale happy ending to Christianity. It's the point of Christianity. It's the power behind our faith. Every other faith doesn't have a resurrection story, but ours does. And that's what makes it different. Our God is alive and he's still moving. The resurrection changes everything. Um, and we know this because it changed everything for the people in, this, in the Bible that we read about. The characters that we see in scripture, there are two people that I was thinking of today as I was, as I was preparing for this message. Two people, two people that I think are some of my favorite characters in the Bible. You definitely know them. You're definitely familiar with them. We talk about them almost as much as we talk about Jesus. The first guy is this guy named Peter. How many of y'all are familiar with Peter? Raise your hand if you know Peter. You've heard that name before. Peter, he's kind of a big deal in the Bible. And I honestly think we all like Peter because we really relate to him, right? (laughs) Peter kind of messes up a lot, and we all mess up a lot, right? Peter is this dude, and before the book of Acts, before Jesus dies on the cross and is resurrected, Peter's kind of this goofball guy, right? Like, it's, he's this guy that kind of seems like he can never say the right thing at the right time. He's got a big mouth. He's always messing up. He's always chopping some dude's ear off when he's not supposed to be chopping some dude's ear off. And yet, this same guy is the guy that Jesus says is going to be the rock that the church is built on. He's, he's got a big calling on his life, but at the same time, it seems like he never amounts to that calling. It seems like he's always falling short and even to the point where he's denying Jesus, right? We talked about that last week, denying Jesus, or a couple weeks ago during our shame message, he denies Jesus right in front of Jesus. But something happens to Peter. Something happens where he drastically changes. There's another guy that I was thinking about today. His name's Paul. Y'all familiar with Paul? Used to be called? That's right. Paul used to be called Saul. And kind of like Peter, Paul experiences this drastic, almost impossible change in his life. He comes, he comes from uh, a sect of Pharisees. So he's one of those religious Jewish leaders that we all read about and we don't want to turn into in the Christian world, right? He's that dude that hated Jesus followers so much to the point where he would imprison them and kill them. But then we see a drastic supernatural, completely 180 turn in his life. So we see, we see these two turns in Peter's life and Paul's life. Peter goes from being this disciple who seems like he's always saying the wrong things to becoming a guy that the church is literally launched into existence through. He goes from being this guy who denies Jesus in front of Jesus to being a guy who 
wouldn't deny his faith even to the point of a cross, just like Jesus. And then you've got this guy, Paul, and he's a Pharisee turned into a missionary. He's a guy who goes from being a person who hated Jesus' followers to becoming a person who created a third of the New Testament. What happened with these two dudes? What was the thing that changed them? It was the resurrection. The resurrection changed everything about history. It changed everything about Peter's life. It changed everything about Paul's life. And it can change everything about your life. The resurrection literally changed everything. It's the power that made Peter become a completely different person. You don't become a completely different person from a guy who said a bunch of good things and died. You become a completely different person by following a guy who died for you and then rose again because he said he would, right? That's where the power came. The resurrection changes everything. And it's what changed everything for me. It's what changed me from being the old person that I was to the person that I am now. It's the power behind what we do. It's the reason behind our faith. And as we close tonight, I've got a couple things that I felt like the Lord was highlighting me, uh, showing me about what the resurrection is for us. You know, in life, we've got a couple different ways um, that, we prove, that we have proof, right? Different ways that we verify things in the natural. Um, so I brought a couple things with me that help us verify our word. Because how many of you know, you can't just go all around saying stuff without having proof, right? The proof, that, the proof is what changes everything. Um, so check this out. The resurrection of Jesus is your receipt. I've got a receipt up here with me. How many of y'all seen a receipt before? Anybody ever seen a receipt before? Okay, yeah, it's from Walmart. What a receipt is, is, is a proof that everything's been paid in full. It's a proof that everything's been paid in full. Why is a receipt important? Because if I bought something and I actually paid for it and somebody comes, comes up to me and says, hey, you still owe money, you still owe stuff for that, and I don't have proof, how many of you know I'm in trouble? But if I have the receipt, I can say, no, right here, I paid for it. It's paid in full. I don't owe anything left. Check this out. The resurrection of Jesus is our receipt for sin. If the cross was the payment, the resurrection of Jesus is the proof that it was paid in full. Check this out. Psalm 103, 12 says this. I love this. It says, he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's forever. That's eternity. And guess what? You have an enemy that would love to get you to think that you still owe God for what you've done. You've got an enemy that would love to come up to you and say, hey, you need to work harder for God to love you. You still owe that thing that you did, that thing that you're ashamed of, you need to start performing more in your walk with God or God's gonna be upset with you. But what does the resurrection show us? The resurrection shows us it's already been paid in full. There's literally nothing else I could ever pay on my own to make my sin go any farther than the east from the west. The resurrection is our receipt for sin. It's paid in full. There's literally nothing else you could do. It changes everything. Check this out. The resurrection is your identity. How many of you have a driver's license? I got my driver's license here. 
uh, I look totally different because I had a buzz cut in this picture. Um, but how many of you know, if I was under 18 and I wanted to go to on cue and I wanted to go buy uh, a bang energy drink that you have to be over 18 to drink for some reason. I don't know why. It doesn't make sense to me. But it's an energy drink. You have to be over 18 to buy it. How many of you know, if I, if I go up to the dude and he's like, can I see your ID? And I'm like, oh, I don't have one, but like I'm over 18 and I don't have a beard and I look younger. How many of you know, is he going to take my word for it? No, probably not. I need to prove who I am, right? I need to have the proof that I am who I say that I am. I am whose I am. And check this out. The resurrection is your new identity. Check this out. 2 Corinthians 5 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. Behold, a new life has begun. Check this out. This is the power of the resurrection. You are a new person. Jesus has the power to literally change you into a new creation. Before Jesus, you're an old person. You're actually a dead person walking. But when you receive Jesus, the Bible says that when you believe unto him, that you become a physical, spiritual, emotional new creation. You're a new creature in Christ. And that's your identity. That's what you're called to live out of. And how many of us live out of our old identity? We've been given this new identity through the resurrected Jesus, but we live out of an old identity, the old self who used to live by the flesh and do things the way we wanted to. But Jesus says the power of the resurrection changes your identity. Last thing is this. This one's kind of funny. I was thinking about this when I was praying for the message, and I was like, that's, that's really good, Jesus. Thank you for that, Holy Spirit. But the resurrection is your degree. Somebody say degree. I got a degree up here with me. Uh, it's actually not my degree because I didn't get a degree. Um, but we're just going to move on past that. Uh, I went to school, but I didn't finish, y'all. It's okay. Pray for me. Um, I've got my wife Haley's degree up here. And uh, she graduated from Oral Roberts University, ORU. What up? Go Eagles. And um, she's got this degree. She, she, she uh, got this degree. It's a Bachelor of Science um, in Journalism and Marketing. So the resurrection is your degree. What do I mean by this? Well, a degree is kind of like a receipt, right? Like it, it proves I did the work. I don't need to go back and prove that I did the work. I, I did the work. I paid the school. I have this degree. It's my receipt. So it's kind of like a receipt. But how many of you go to school for this? Do you go to college for this? No. You don't, you don't spend hundreds of thousands of dollars and give four years plus of your life for a piece of paper, Right? No, what do, you, what do you give it for? You give it for what? The doors it's going to open. You give your life to get a degree because what does the degree do? It opens the doors for new possibilities. Here's what, I, here's what I mean by this. The resurrection of Jesus is the thing that opens your doors. It's, it's your degree. Check this out. This is what the resurrection does for us. Romans 8, 28 says this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. In other words, 
The resurrection is the thing that makes what Jesus said happen. Jesus said, in this world, you will face trouble. He said, just because you follow me doesn't mean your life's gonna be perfect. But what does he say after that? He says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. What is he saying? He's saying, when I resurrect, I turn graves into gardens. I can take any dead thing and I can bring it back to life. And this is what the resurrection is for us. It's our degree that says, hey, I have a new opportunity. Every single day, God has a new mercy for me. Any dead thing in my life, God has the power to resurrect. That's what the power of the resurrection is. The resurrection changes everything, New Song students. And it's your proof. It's your proof that Jesus did what he said he would do. It's your proof that Jesus is gonna continue to do what he said he would do. It's the proof that Jesus turns graves into gardens. And tonight as we close, I wanna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want us to just take a second to remember that truth. It's the truth that this series is named out of, that Jesus can turn your grave into a garden. He can resurrect any dead thing in your life. He can turn all things together for the good of those who love him. And that doesn't mean when you become a Christian, your life's gonna be perfect and and dandy and you're not gonna have to pay bills when you get older. It, It means that you have a living, loving savior that walks with you and has the ability to resurrect your life. And right now, maybe you're here tonight and you feel like there's some dead things in your life. Maybe for you, that dead thing is your spirit. Maybe you you need to ask that resurrection power to come into your heart. Maybe that's you, but maybe you're here tonight and there's just an area of your life that you would love to see Jesus resurrect. Can I tell you, can I encourage you, New Song students? He can do it. You know, the disciples and Mary at the tomb, they were all disappointed because they thought that their savior was dead and they experienced three long days of thinking that everything they had just spent their life following was done. And they experienced disappointment. And maybe you're like that here tonight. But what what I wanna tell you, what I wanna encourage you tonight is that Jesus is in the resurrecting business. He's in the life-giving business. And whatever that thing is, I want you to just give that to Jesus. Jesus, I give that thing to you. I trust you with it. I know I don't have control in my life. I can't control what lives and what dies in my life. But you have control. And you have the power to change. And Jesus, I thank you that you didn't stay dead. You went through You went through death, hell, and the grave, but you didn't stay there. You came back and you rose again, and that's the power that we live from. And Father God, right now, I lift up every single New Song student, every single person in this room, and I pray that you would show us, remind us, help us to live out of the truth, the fact that we get to live out of a resurrected life. We get to live through your life. God, help us this week as we walk out of this Easter season, celebrating Easter, celebrating your death and your life. God, help us to walk out 
that resurrecting life, that life that changed Peter and made him a completely different person, that life that changed Paul and completely transformed Paul into a new person, I pray that that same power would fill us up, make us new people, make us look more like you, God. We love you. We praise you. We honor you and we worship you. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said...